Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. It's Thanksgiving this week, albeit a really different one for a lot of us, me included. Uh, there are seven kids in my family. We usually do a huge get-together, but not this year. Uh, still, here on Livewire, we wanted to try to work on the practice of being thankful this week, even if things are weird. Uh, of course, we're always very thankful for our guests, and this week we have quite the lineup. Rachel Bloom is going to stop by. She was the co-creator and star of the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and she'll be talking about her new book of essays. Then we're going to talk to Natalie Diaz about her book, Post-Colonial Love Poem, which was a finalist for the National Book Award. Then we're going to hear some music from one of my very favorite musicians of this moment, Kevin Morby. So that's the plan. The Livewire House Party gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Elena. Luke, hello. Hi, happy Thanksgiving week. Gobble, gobble. That's indeed. What'd you do? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I uh, wrote a lot of letters of recommendation. And I... <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It just worked? Um, well, I, I went over, I have a little pod of two other people, and me and David went over there and had Thanksgiving, but it was vegan. Mm. So I made David make me a second Thanksgiving on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was a very different time uh, for the Burbank clan as well because there's seven kids and then everyone has spouses and then they have their own kids. And it's usually like it's a super spreader event even in a year when there's no pandemic. <laughs> so this year it's just me and my wife and my kid and kept it very small but very safe. So, you know, it's what you got to do during a pandemic, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of things that are small and safe, should we do our radio show? I mean, it'll be small, but I don't know if it'll be safe. <laughs> That's right. There's no predicting. Hey, Molly, are we recording this thing? We are ready to roll, Luke. Okay, good. Elena, take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses. Welcome to the Livewire House Party. This week with entertainer and writer Rachel Bloom, poet Natalie Diaz, and music from Kevin Morby. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, live and direct from a small room just off his kitchen, the host of LifeWire, Luke Burbank! Hey, 
thank you so much. Wow. I love it. Shades of the Arsenio Hall show. Woof, woof, woof. That was still my favorite talk show of all time. I know Carson's supposedly better, but... For me, it's Arsenio on a babysitting gig. In yes. Nike. I'm babysitting, not Arsenio, although I bet he would be a good babysitter. Yeah. Um, welcome to LiveWire, everyone. Thank you very much, Elena Passarella. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in on this uh, Thanksgiving week. We have, of course, a lot to be thankful for. Getting to do this radio show is a very cool thing. Amen. Um, and we asked the audience what they're thankful for this week, which, look, when we do these audience questions, Elena, I think we usually try to be you know, maybe a little clever or kind mm-hmm. of tweak mm-hmm. whatever is going on in the world. This week, we were just going full on genuine. Yeah, absolutely. Don't mess with the program. Serve your turkey, serve yes. your stuffing or your mm-hmm. dressing. Do the classics. Yes. So we sort of <laughs> went down the middle this week, but I'm, I'm not sad that we did. We asked the audience, what is something that they're thankful for? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to get to some of their responses in a moment. First, let me ask you, Elena, what are you thankful for this week? I am thankful for so much, but um, I want to say into this microphone right now that I am so thankful and grateful for independent bookstores. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have one in my hometown that I love, but then there are also these great independent bookstores that helped me when my book was coming out that are helping all of these writers who had their books come out during pandemic Mm -hmm. with these really innovative readings and Zoom events, and they need our support right now. It is the time to buy books from all of the independent booksellers across the country. Okay. So- if people are looking to get gifts uh, they sh- and they're going to buy books, you're saying go for the independent booksellers. Yeah. And, you know, I think every single book that we've talked about on Livewire, probably mm-hmm. ever, but definitely <laughs> over the past, like, nine months, is completely available from a local bookseller. If you need a suggestion, you should get in touch with me at the Livewire social media empire. So uh, on Twitter or on Instagram. And this week, I will help you find either a local bookstore to support or I'll help you find some great books for the people in your life. Like my Thanksgiving wish would be that we could show these pillars of our community a little love right now before the Christmas rush begins. All right, good call. If that isn't the most public radio thing to be thankful for, independent, (laughs) I'm going to one-up you. I'm thankful for plant-based turkey. Whoa! (laughs) Check and mate. My friend. My hat is off to you, sir. I doff my cat. <laughs> because, like, I, you know, I don't eat meat. And the only day when I decided that I wasn't going to eat meat anymore, the only day I really got nervous about was Thanksgiving because it's a big thing in my family. And I look forward to Thanksgiving dinner mm. for 364 days. It's the best. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, it was, like, either last Thanksgiving or the Thanksgiving before, I went out and I bought, I don't know, five or six different offerings when it comes to plant-based turkey-like products. Like a taste test. And I found the one that I really like. <gasps> and now I, I honestly, with the mashed potatoes and the and the stuffing or the dressing and the cranberry and all of that, I throw this imitation turkey product in and I wouldn't even know I'm not eating turkey. Because the turkey is just like a baseline. It's like the cardboard box in which the Thanksgiving dinner goes. It doesn't have to be like the the real dill, as they say in Pittsburgh, right? Uh, yeah, as the Yinzers would say. I mean, this is as real dill as a as a Yingling. Hey, uh, as an iron, an iron city. There you go. <laughs> All right, what are the Livewire listeners saying they are thankful for this Thanksgiving week, Elena? I am so glad we asked this question. I could read seven million of these, honestly. Um, 
Bill is thankful for the fact that, quote, I'm a professional kite flyer, so I'm What? already used to keeping my distance from everyone else. Six feet apart, if I have a string in my hand, that's still too close. <laughs> professional kite flyer? I know. <laughs> I thought we had the most like uh, unusual job you could have, which would be like professional public radio hosts. No, kite flyer, that takes the cake. I know. What is it, the, the Simpsons, when they're talking about things that that seem weird for reasons we can't put our finger on, flying a kite at night. <laughs> There's something off about that. I don't know if Phil is night kite flying. What else, uh, what else are our listeners saying they're thankful for this week? Here's a sweet one from Rosanna. Rosanna says, my teenage son has suddenly gotten very interested in skateboarding and he's obsessed. It keeps him occupied. It's great physical exercise and he's willing to talk to me about it as much as I'll listen. So I'm learning a lot. Yay! And I mean, that's something that you can safely do even during a pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's generally outdoors. Yeah. He's found a non-video game, non-screen. I was talking, there's a skate park near my house and I was talking uh, with some friends about, because I have a skateboard, as I've mentioned on our show too many times. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, uh, what are the chances I'm going to eventually go to this skate park with my skateboard and, and, and try to show the kids what's what? And a friend of mine just emailed me a link to the Tony Hawk pro skater game, the video game that features the same skate park. And he said, I would just do this in the virtual world if I were you. He recommended I play a video game version of what I was thinking about doing IRL. All right, let's get our first guest on over here to the uh, house party. Rachel Bloom might not be thankful for her childhood bullies, uh, exactly, but she did manage to turn those feelings of not quite fitting in all the time into the fodder for a very successful career. She was the star and the co-creator of the musical dramedy TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She won an Emmy and a Golden Globe for that. And now she is out with her first book of essays. It's titled, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. Rachel Bloom, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thanks for having me. What a party. Uh, <laughs> you're making it more, more party-ish by your very presence. This book is an absolute delight. Thank um, you. And it starts off with a with a great moment where there's a poem, and as the reader, I was reading it and I was like, "This is a, a pretty okay poem, but it seems maybe somewhat childlike." And like, is this what it's like when Rachel Bloom writes a book of essays? This is all right. This is okay. I'm going to go with this, and then you get to the end of the poem. And thankfully, you wrote it when you were age 12. Yes, <laughs> I was wondering, like. When people would, would catch on. See, for me, it's because I, I say, who is normal? Your Freddie Prince Jr. lookalike crush. And right. I feel like if I were reading that, I'd be like, uh, what is wrong with this person? <laughs> it is a slightly outdated reference. Uh, you, you did seem in the book like a very uh, imaginative kid, also who was really into documenting your life and your feelings and your fantasies. What, what was it like for you being, being 12 years old? Uh, it was miserable, but I really, I like myself a lot more looking back now than I, I think at, at the time. Mm. And I think that's the same thing for everyone who's ever been 12 years old, which is everybody. Um, I couldn't help but be myself, which was just smart, imaginative, dramatic, and weird, which is the way Rebecca Bunch is described in the pilot of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't secure in being those things. What, what do you mean when you say normal people in the context of this book? 
in the context of this book, it's it's me looking from the outside in and thinking everyone had gotten it and understood how to be normal and fit in, and there was something I didn't understand. But then in your work, I know that you you you, you don't my want husband. to see. It's my husband Gregor walking in. Woo-hoo! Hey there. They said we can embrace the fact that we're at home. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, the lunch order that you wanted. Yeah. Uh, you actually ordered on a breakfast menu, and oh. it's not available anymore. Oh, no. I was wondering why there were only breakfast options. Yes. Uh, so I don't know if you want to see another. Yeah, yeah. Let me just look at the menu while I'm still talking. <laughs> so this is actually yeah, that's a good yeah. use of time. Yeah, great. Okay, what, are the, what are the options? Um, yeah, we'll help. We're ordering from a little plate. Are, are, you're located in Portland? Yeah. Yeah, so you get it. So there's this place called Cafe Gratitude in mm-hmm. L.A., which is a, <laughs> sure. a hippie vegan stuff. Every dish is is called like the... Um, it's not just like Indian curry bowl. It's the I am humble. Uh, instead of a macrobiotic bowl, it's called the I am whole. Can you guess what their black bean burger is called? Think about a word that wouldn't describe a black bean burger at all. Delicious. <laughs> Close. It's the I am magical. Uh, magic beans. I have to tell you, though, this is like perfect timing because this week, you know, is Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and the whole theme of this episode is like stuff that we're thankful for. And you're ordering from someplace called Cafe Gratitude. So yeah. yes. it was as if the universe delivered that moment for us and the show. So well thank done. you, Rachel. Uh, we're talking to Rachel Bloom here on the Livewire House Party. Uh, she's down in L.A. putting in uh, an order for some <laughs> very aspirationally named food. Uh, we we're talking yeah. also, though, about her latest book, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. And, and the characters that you've portrayed on screen are decidedly not quote unquote normal, right? Like they have uh, some creativity, some quirk to them. Uh, that seems like an intentional decision, right? Yeah. And I think that beyond that, especially with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I, I'm interested in this in general. What we did was we looked at tropes. We looked at kind of character tropes. Because I think that part of the feeling of being abnormal, it's not only fitting in with people, it's fitting into the box you think you should be in. And I think that's really reinforced by the media we consume and the the tropes in that media. And so we tried to, especially in Crazy X, take certain characters that you think you know, both people you'd meet in real life and then characters that you see in narratives and then upend those characters. So for instance, in the first season, Rebecca Bunch has this nemesis in the guy she loves, his, his girlfriend, Valencia, Mm-hmm. And then we slowly pick away and we realize, no, Rebecca's the one trying to break up a relationship. <laughs> right. And we kind of strip her away. And by, and by the end of the series, she and Valencia are very good friends. So I'm very fascinated by tropes for the same reason I'm fascinated by normalcy. There's the box you think you should be in, and then there's the reality of life. This is the Live Wire House Party. We're talking to Rachel Bloom, uh, co creator of Crazy Ex Girlfriend, and also the author of this great book, I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. <laughs> uh, we got to take a quick break. But stay with us. We will be right back with more Livewire from PRX. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the 
association that we are part of, I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm-hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to live where it just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. And we are talking to Rachel Bloom, uh, whose new book is I Want to Be Where the Normal People Are. Uh, she also was the co-creator and star of uh, the great TV show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, this book uh, talks a lot about your childhood and middle school and how you didn't totally fit in with the various social groups. And then you get to the part where you wrote an op-ed piece in the student paper against inside jokes. And a lot of that starts to make sense about you not being fully embraced by the masses. <laughs> yeah. how, like, of all the topics, how did a young Rachel Bloom choose inside jokes to uh, take on? Well, you know, when I was a serious journalism student at the Surf Report um, in Manhattan (laughs) Beach Middle School, that's right, the Surf Report, um, we were told to look for the hard-hitting stories. Mm -hmm. And I passed people in the hallway laughing about things I didn't understand, and I thought, that's it. I'm going to crack this wide open. And my deep throat was myself. (laughs) (laughs) were you were you anti-inside joke because you felt left out of some of the social groups and therefore didn't know what they were laughing about and wanted things to be more inclusive yeah of course of course when it was my own inside joke which i had with my friends i was fine Mm -hmm. i was just against and i you know i still what i don't like about inside jokes to this day is when they are taken from the inside and put outside. Yeah. I think I also noticed, this happened in high school. I'm really annoyed now, actually. <laughs> in like the yearbook, you could do yearbook ads for like your friends and people would always put like your, your inside jokes in the yearbook ads. And it's mm-hmm. like, ugh, who's that for? And obviously it's just for <laughs> you and your friend. But like, yeah, it always made me feel left out. We really turned a corner from the gratitude of the earlier part yeah. of this conversation and just moved into railing against against uh, childhood annoyances. Although, I mean, the way that you describe these things in the book, Rachel, it's so funny, but it's also really relatable. I'm wondering, do you get, it's the same for you financially if people purchase the audiobook version versus the book book version? Because I want to try to steer people towards the audiobook oh my version. Oh yes. Your performance the is musical. so- great in it (laughs) like it is a full i read about half the book and then i listened to about half the book and it is it's a full service experience to hear you reading and performing this thing i'm quite proud of the audiobook i don't i mean i think that maybe the book helps me financially a little bit more but honestly i'm fine with either i'm really proud of the audiobook i'm also really happy as you know there's a 15 minute musical in the book and you don't have to have purchased the audiobook 
to listen to it because I wanted people to be able to hear it as they were reading along if they just bought the book, if they wanted to. So you can get the link to that musical on my website. But either way, (laughs) either way, however you want to consume the content, stream it, watch it on Quibi. Uh, you said that uh, people have actually reached out to you after you became really well-known uh, to apologize for how they treated you. How does that whole scenario unfold, and what's that like for you? Well, I did a live show in 2012, and one of my main bullies came to see the show. And she kind of apologized in high school, but she came to see the show. She brought me flowers, and then she took me out for coffee, and she apologized, and then we talked about our problems, and she was four years sober, and... Mm. Um, she was enlightened. She was, she literally used the phrase, I was unenlightened Mm. in, in middle school. What did that feel like for you? Um, did it have the effect that this person was going for, or did it feel yet again, uh, to be about them? No, it did. It did have the effect that it was going for. I mean, it was a little about her in the end because she did ask me to like be her acting mentor. Um, (laughs) and I was like, and I was like, I don't think you'll get from that what you want. (laughs) Um, well, you got the last laugh because you are in the midst of this really great career. You have won, uh, I believe, an Emmy and a Golden Globe, yeah, which, which is crazy. means you are only a Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Award away from an EGOT. Yes. We know that like, there's a 100% chance you're going to eventually win the entire EGOT. Oh. And so we want to quiz your knowledge of uh, the group of people who have actually already won an EGOT. So when you get oh. there- you'll fit in. Oh, I love games. I love games. <laughs> okay, so only 16 people have actually gotten an EGOT. Uh, we're going to tell you the name of a person, mm. and then you have to guess if they got an EGOT or if they have an E-not. Oh. It's perfect. I love yeah. it. So here E-not. we go. That's great. Oprah Winfrey. Is Oprah Winfrey an, an, an EGOT recipient? I don't think she is. You are absolutely right. Ding, 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 ding. She is missing the Grammy. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised that that something she's re- released that is a, a spoken word product has not won a Grammy, though. There's mm-hmm. no way she hasn't been nominated. I think that also there needs to be a separate category of who's EGOT nominated, because I my my late writing partner, Adam Schlesinger, mm-hmm. was EGOT nominated. And I would always introduce him ah. at concerts as EGOT nominated. <laughs> and he'd come out and go, oh, my publicist, Rachel Bloom. Like he was never found it <laughs> impressive, but I found it so impressive. <laughs> Uh, by the way, not not to not to move things on to a more somber topic, but the book is dedicated to Adam. I know yeah. uh, he meant so much to you, and, and he passed away from COVID. How has it been for you to, to keep creating stuff and being creative with such a close friend passing away? Um, weird. I think especially anything song related or musical related mm-hmm. is is weird not to have him have him there. I I wrote a hundred fifty seven original songs with him. Like I'm always going to have his voice and his, you know, what he would think in, in my head or me approximating that. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I'm glad that I could dedicate the book to him and I'm glad I could, I think he would be the sil- a sil- a, a silver lining of that is I could use that picture that he took uh, such measures to take for the <laughs> yeah. show. There's a right? photo that he insisted on taking for the TV show that was shown for literally a second that is now opens up my book. So I'm happy for him <laughs> that we can use that photo of him. Yeah. Cause as you mentioned on the show, it's on for less than five seconds. So now it's on, it's in the book forever. It's great because he would, he was very egoless, but then he'd be like, I want to be, we did a, we created a fictitious composer named Elliot Ellison. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I want to be 
Elliot Ellison. I want to just have my picture on like that fictitious songbook. And we were like, Adam, that's going to be shown for like a second. And <laughs> we don't have time to organize that shoot. He's like, no, no, no. I'll organize the shoot myself. I just really want to do it. We were like, are you sure you don't want to be on the show in a bigger capacity? We have so many other things we've offered you. He's like, no, I only want this. And we were like, okay. And so he organized the shoot. He's got his hair done for it. And wow. we were like, okay. He had huh? the energy. He had the energy of a, of a 21 year old. That's how you Maybe. become EGOT nominated. That is that how you kind become EGOT nominated. Very specific drive towards certain things. All right. Well, continuing on with yes. our with our EGOT or ENOT quiz for Rachel Bloom here on Livewire. Audrey Hepburn is Audrey Hepburn uh, someone who has an EGOT? No. Oh, I'm sorry. She does. <gasps> Are you what? serious? What did yeah. she get her awards for? I have I mean, no I idea. I'm Oscar. just looking at a list that says she does have one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. A couple more uh, before we uh, before we wrap things up here. How about Rita Moreno? Yes. Absolutely. Slam dunk. How about Angela Lansbury? Uh, I'm going to say she's missing an Oscar. She is and does not have an EGOT, but she has been nominated in all four categories. She's also an EGOT nominee, mm-hmm. as is the actor... Mark Ruffalo, nominated in all categories. What? Wow. Uh, yeah. Who'd have, who'd have thunk it? Is this the kind of thing, Rachel Bloom, <laughs> that, I mean, it's obviously made up and, and sort of silly, but it's fun to be recognized by your peers and to say that you have a Golden Globe and an Emmy. I mean, do you lose oh, any awesome. sleep ever thinking about things like winning an Oscar, winning an EGOT? Uh, I lost sleep over the award campaigns on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because I was, you know, a co-creator of that show. I was an executive Mm -hmm. producer. So I was involved heavily with with the talk of awards and and strategy with awards campaigning. I'd rather not think about it, honestly, but because you talk about it so much when you're in an awards campaigning mode, you you can't help but then put a ton of value on it. And Mm. I just, they were just so stressful because there are so few things in life where you're going to find out a big thing that you've put a lot of hope on at this specific time. And you're just, your heart is racing and it feels like a cast list going up, but way higher stakes. (laughs) The other crazy thing that I learned from the book about awards is there's another level of shapewear that, you know, people Mm -hmm. who like don't ever get their picture taken have never experienced. I did not know you could put Spanks on top of another piece of shapewear. Oh, you sure can, because the spank. <laughs> what the spanks does, if you're wearing like a corset type thing, the spanks then smooths out the the steel or the metal of that corset thing. <laughs> Ouch! It's a view into a world that I had no idea existed. Yeah, but you feel so pretty, and then you, you know, look great. You've done the red carpet, and then you're sitting there, and you're like, I'm very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, uh, we, we look forward to watching the rest of your career, Rachel, as you climb your way ever closer to the EGOT mm-hmm. and <laughs> congrats on this book. It's really delightful. And again, it, it, it's really, uh, relatable and, and I think uh, is ultimately really life affirming. So, uh, people should definitely buy the book or get the audio book, but definitely get it one way or the other. Rachel Bloom, thank you so much for being on the live wire house party. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Hey, special thanks this episode to Ed and Ann Galen of Portland, Oregon. Ed and Ann are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month. We are very, very grateful. You might even say thankful for that support because it is how we are able to keep the show going. 
So a big thanks to Ed and Anne. This is the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Uh, we asked our audience uh, a question this week. We asked them, what are they thankful for considering the holiday? And the folks sent in those answers. What are you seeing, Elena? We have a new trend in these audience cards, Burbank, and I am here okay. for it. There are visual components to the answers rather than just the words. We had a couple last week. This week, Jennifer says that she's thankful for the wildlife in the Pacific Northwest, and she has two lovely photos, one of of a charming squirrel Mm -hmm. and one of, I think, an acorn woodpecker. It's like a a woodpecker with, like, instead of a red head, he's got, like, a little red beret on, and they are both very well composed, and um, I'm thankful for Jennifer's pictures. Did you hear about the baby owl they found on the 30 Rockefeller Christmas tree? I I wanted them to name it Liz Lemon or like Owl Liz Lemon. (laughs) I wanted them to name it Rocky. They named it Rockefeller because it was Mm. that 30 Rockefeller. But I thought we'll call it Rocky for short, right? They they bring this Christmas tree down from, I think it's Oneonta, New York. Mm. And it's a big tradition. They put it up. And this year, because, you know, the internet... Everybody was roasting the Christmas tree. Everybody was saying that yeah. the Christmas tree wasn't good this year because it was kind of sparse. It just got photographed at a bad angle. That happens to all Thank of you. us. That's right. Exactly. It's, as they say on TikTok, it's not that I'm not pretty. I'm just not in my moment. <laughs> the tree was just not in its moment when they took those pictures. <laughs> but then one of the workers down at the base of the tree found a little cute owl that was smashed up against the trunk of the tree that was alive that had apparently maybe been on the tree when they cut it yeah. down. It got brought all the way down. The owl is now at an animal sanctuary and is doing great. Oh, good. That's yeah. good. I'm thankful for that this week. Okay. Me too. Uh, what's, what's another thing our audience is thankful for? Here, here's one from Beverly. Beverly is thankful for the fact that the pandemic is the perfect excuse to avoid tedious holiday parties and social gatherings. Yay! <laughs> it is uh, definitely created, an ex- and not just a, a plausible, but really, let's be honest, a necessary out yes. <laughs> for anybody, anybody. I tend to be pretty social and I really like getting together with my family for Thanksgiving, Aww. but there are as many folks, if not more, who mildly dread it. And this Guilty. year, I mean, you yeah. are you are socially obligated, or I should say, from just a public health standpoint, you are obligated to say, uh, no, thank you. I will mm. not be coming to that large Thanksgiving gathering. Yes, you're welcome. Or like the work ones are what get me. One time I showed up at one of those with a light up cat shirt that I thought was really nice looking. I said, this only costs $20. And there's some like academic person. And they said to me, you would have to pay me $20 to wear that. And I was like, man, where's your Christmas spirit? That will never happen at the Livewire Zoom holiday party that we're now officially going to have. Yes. That sweater will be the the talk of the entire get together. Um, Hey, speaking of which, this is the Livewire house party. I'm Luke Burbank. And that is my besweatered friend, Elena Passarello. (laughs) We're talking about what we're thankful for this week of Thanksgiving. One thing I'm really thankful for, it might sound a little corny, but it's true, is all of the really interesting people that we get to talk to, Elena, and a lot of them were folks I wouldn't have met if not, you know, for being the host of this show. Our next guest is very much on that list. Uh, She is a former professional basketball player turned MacArthur Genius Award winner, (laughs) as one does. You know. (laughs) Her latest book of poetry is Post-Colonial Love Poem, and it was a finalist for the National Book Award. We are so excited to have her here as part of the Portland Book Festival. Natalie Diaz, welcome to the Livewire House Party. 
Gracias to both of you. You are, uh, I believe, in uh, Phoenix right now, but you've been spending a lot of time, I understand, uh, you know, during the pandemic on the Fort Mojave Reservation, which is where you also grew up. Like, what has that been like for you to be back kind of in your childhood locus while the world is kind of melting down around us? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's always good. Uh, I think of Fort Mojave as home home. Mm. It's been lucky, I think, uh, to, to be home when the book is out. Um, mm. I, I can be myself, you know, I haven't had to step too far outside uh, who I am when I write, which you sometimes have to do when you perform what you've written. And I also think this book for me is, uh, it's many things, but it's very much about my practices of language um, and how that leads me to express desire or pleasure in my life, uh, to be thoughtful about my land and my water in my life. And so, you know, it also felt lucky to, to stay so rooted to um, those relationships. So as basically my partner and I, you know, quarantining. Um, I began the quarantine taking care of my mother who was ill. Uh, spent a lot of time on my river because the summer passed during that time. And yes, of course, you realize what you're missing. And at the same time, you begin to kind of suture what needs to be closer to you. Um, so for me, sometimes mm -hmm. the missing is what made things more present to me or made me realize things that that I need to work to make a little bit more present. Uh, I read uh, an interview you did about this book, Natalie, where you said now is an important and dangerous time for language. What did you mean by that? Many things, right? Um, you know, I think uh, there's just a way that our world moves that economizes everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. I, I think that it, what's been helpful to me as I think about what is language is, is trying to remind myself always of what it's capable of and it's capable of very terrible things. Um, mm. You know, uh, the English language in particular in the United States is a, is a very violent and dangerous language and, you know, began itself and built itself by quieting other languages and continuing to try to do that. And at the same time, I've also been really lucky. I think, I mean, you work in radio, you work in radio and on the page, you know, so I think we, we must at least align in, in some ways about also realizing that it, it is such an important um, like technology of the body for us to like find one another and to touch one another, or to be held, or, mm. uh, you know, or to be behold, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think just typically in America, we have a hard time holding more than one thing true at the yeah. same time. And um, I think when I, when I think about that, like, you know, I want to always remember the danger of language because I don't necessarily think danger is only bad. Mm -hmm. I think what, what makes me dangerous mm -hmm. is that I do have a language that other people like me maybe don't have. Um, and so in some ways, I think that is part of... Um, what I was thinking about when I was talking about that. Let's actually hear something from the book. Um, can you read a poem for us, Natalie? Yeah. So this, this involves Oregon. Um, there's a small epigraph. It's, it's not, it's less epigraph and more just informational text at the, at the beginning. So I'll read that. And then the title. When he left his pack to find a mate, Oregon's seventh collared wolf, 
named OR7 by state biologists, became the first wolf in California since 1927, when the last one was killed for government bounty, as at one time natives were also killed for government bounty. Wolf OR7. On a digital map, OR7's trek is charted by a GPS tracking collar and numerous trail cameras, a trembling blue line southwest, south again, 1,200 miles from Oregon to California to find her, gray wolf, Canis lupus, loba, beloved. In the tourmaline dusk, I go a same wilding path pooled by night's maps into the forest and dunes of your hips, divining from you rivers, then crossing them, proving the long thirst I'd wander to be sated by you. I confuse instinct for desire. Isn't bite also touch? Some things cannot be charted. The middle night cosmography of your moving hands, the constellation holding the gods of your jaw and ear. You tell me you take wolf naps, and I turn lupinar. A female gray wolf's shoulders are narrower than a male's, but our mythos of shoulders began before I knew that. When I broke open my mouth upon yours as we pressed against the glass doors of the cliff house, looking out into the bay's shadows, hammering the bronzed bell of the supermoon. My mind climbed the rise, fall, rise of your bared back. In me, a pack of wolves appeared and disappeared over the hill of my heart. I, too, follow toward where I am forever returning. Her, and somewhere in the dark of a remote night vision camera, the quivering green music of animals. That is Natalie Diaz reading from uh, her book of poetry, Postcolonial Love Poem. Uh, what What is the process for you like of writing a poem like that? Is it you see something and a, a thought sparks or do you write little notes to yourself? What's the, what's the, the journey of, of a piece like that? I definitely have a practice of a notebook. So like I constantly write like all the time. It's kind of one of the ways I can like stay still is if I'm right. Like I have a notebook mm. in front of me right now. I did just, I think better. My mind is such a mess. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I go like, I'm very like etymologically, you know, sewn. And so I begin sometimes with very small words. So just a, a friend of mine mentioned like wolf nap. And then this also happened to be, which I had never heard, you know, and, and this also happened near the same time that, um, that this was happening in Oregon where you could, you could watch it on a, a camera. And, um, and I was always missing anything happening on the camera. <laughs> like sometimes I would sit and nothing would ever happen. I'd have to see like replayed <laughs> snippets. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just kind of got obsessed with that little, with that wolf. Um, and then, you know, I've of course come across lots of language that felt very similar to like the language that was used to describe when that last wolf um, was killed for bounty. It was like the same language used for um, indigenous peoples, for natives in California at one time. And so, of course, that, you know, struck me as well. You have a, a, a pretty unusual background for poetry, uh, which is that you are a professional basketball player. <laughs> I'm wondering if there's like uh, any kind of overlap between those two art forms? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely. Um, 
And I mean, I, I think a lot about lexicons, right? Like what lexicons do we bring? So, I mean, um, like Luke, I don't know you very well, but I know of Elena and some of your work and, and parts of, of your work that have related to parts of your life. So I, I can think of other lexicons that you're bringing, you know, with you to the page. Like for me, the desert is a lexicon, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a way that I write about life that is very different from someone who hasn't lived in the desert. You know, like I, I very mm-hmm. intentionally want to flood everything with light because there's almost no measure of it where I come from. <clears throat> and the same thing with darkness. Like I live in a place that is completely dark at night. So basketball is like one of my lexicons and, and it's the way in some ways I try very hard to practice my attentiveness on the page of poetry in my daily life. Like, so that I'm, I want to, not that I'm a poet 24 seven, but whatever it is I do on the page that is poetry, I feel like I can pull off the page and, and live differently or better off, off the page. And basketball was that for me my entire life. You know, it was, it's the way I learned the world. It's the way I learned touch and physicality and, and relationship. It's very much about like space and Mm -hmm. futurity, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're never behind, you're always ahead. Basically like what momentum is, right? You know, are you holding it? Are you building it? Are you releasing it? You know, how is it shifting? Elena, it's been a long time since I've heard you read, um, but like the physicality of reading, right? And to stand and be the to be that body there that um, people are watching for the sound is a very different kind of relationship. I think that's great, Natalie. I think we have often like an early language where we learn how to solve problems and that can be sports, it can be family, it can be the first musical instrument that you pick up. And I think when you become a writer, I think you 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 tap back into whatever that first language system was. And I never thought about the second part that when you're publicly presenting yourself as a body with the work that you made in your brain, there must be like this wonderful uh, connection to this earlier language. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really interesting. I've been doing a lot of like um, collaborations with uh, performance artists and I have a, there's a performance artist and friend named Maria Hupfield, who's an incredible artist. But we've done some collaborations where we ended up switching roles kind of. She doesn't normally speak in the performance. She will afterward in like a conversation. And I had never stood in the front of the room like that, like in a group of people where I wasn't grounding my body in language. And it was, so we were, it was like, I was grounding in movement and Mm. my glutes and my (laughs) thighs and my hamstrings were so sore (laughs) for like three days. Like it was unbelievable because I didn't realize how I was holding my body there in the middle. And like, you know, and like, I can even feel myself tremble a little bit. Like when your thigh trembles, you know, like something's happening. You're shook. Like, (laughs) yeah. Like when you have to do defensive slide in basketball, like those, yeah. those practices when the coach is like, we're not bringing a basketball today. And you're just yeah. like, oh no, this is just going to be defensive slide all day. Yeah. Um, Natalie, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us today. This was really fun. It was great to see you again, Elena. Great, great to meet you, Luke. So I'm wishing you both uh, a good day and uh, love and health to you and your beloveds. That was uh, Natalie Diaz right here on the Livewire House Party. It's always interesting, Elena, when we interview someone who you 
are like IRL friends with and go way, way, way back with. Gosh, I love talking to her. She's so plugged into the art that she makes. You know, it's she's obviously a, 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 a gen, literally a genius yeah, poet, officially. as recognized by the MacArthur Foundation. It was hard for me to not just want to talk about basketball the whole time because that's the thing I know more about and am interested in. And she's probably one of the only pro basketball players we've had on the show in the last few years. You but, should call um, her back. She loves basketball. I'm sure she, in some days, she'd probably rather talk about that. It'll be our spinoff podcast, me and Natalie. <laughs> um, by the way, I'm Luke Burbank. That's Elena Passarello over there. Uh, Natalie's poetry collection is called Postcolonial Love Poem, if you want to check it out. It's available now. Uh, this is Livewire. We've got to take a very quick break. But don't go anywhere, because we will be right back. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. And they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends, like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are talking about what we're thankful for this week, it being the week of Thanksgiving. And here is something that I am genuinely uh, appreciative of, the music of Kevin Morby. Mm. I have been listening to this guy so much during the pandemic. I, I've been a fan of his, his work for a few years, but during this particular moment of life, for whatever reason, his stuff has just been extra applicable for me. Mm. Uh, he's got a, a new album out. It's Sundowner. Pitchfork described it as a perfect afternoon under a big blue sky, a vision of the Midwest that feels mythical and enormous. Whoa. Who doesn't need that in their life right now? Uh, Kevin Morby, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, at the time that you were creating this album, you were kind of in the beginning of, of a relationship uh, with uh, Katie Crutchfield, who plays under the name Waxahachie. Uh, what was that like for you to be making this album while you're also like falling in love, if that doesn't sound too corny? No, not at all. Um, you know, I... With new relationships come a lot of new inspiration. Um, so I think Katie and I were both very influenced by one another. And, you know, we don't sit around and write songs together, but we, you know, are always on uh, each other's periphery. So, you know, a lot of what was happening um, at the time in, in terms of us and everything else made its way into the songs. So, um, yeah, you know, it was pretty magical. It's cool to have a documentation of that time of us in the sort of early stages of things. There's a song called Don't Underestimate Midwest American Sun, which is really sort of a <laughs> snapshot of that. And, you know, Katie and I, before the pandemic, our lives are very hectic and a lot of touring and constant travel. And um, she had moved from Philadelphia to the suburbs of Kansas, and I had moved from Los Angeles back to my hometown for the first time in 12 years. And um, so it was just sort of surreal and kind of felt like the two of us against the world in this way for these small little mm. pockets of time. And this is this whole like sundowner concept, right? About the two of you and and kind of a melancholy when when the sun sets. Yeah, sort of, you know. And and the two of us suddenly being in the suburbs of of Kansas City, and uh, we were just sort of more attuned to the phases of the day, you know. In the in Los Angeles, I was constantly sort of waiting for the sun to go down, and it felt like that's when my day began, you know. Mm. Whereas here. 
um, I would just kind of work on music all day. And then when the sun would start to go down and there's no real distraction from yourself, um, yeah, it just brought on a new set of emotions of like, oh, wow, the night is just here and we have nothing to do but just sort of <laughs> have to deal with uh, each other and ourselves. And so it brought on a whole new set of emotions. Uh, my um, my 26-year-old daughter, who is a very astute music fan, said she thinks you're the Tom Petty of your generation. The, I, that's incredible because, number one, I've never got that. But number two, I am in a huge Tom Petty phase right now. Ah. Um, so I really appreciate that. I just, I bought a new truck recently and I have like the 30 free days of, uh, XMU and uh-huh. Tom Petty radio on there. I've just been going to town. I just, I'm obsessed with it. So tell her, thank you very much. That's a huge compliment. He's amazing. Um, all right. Well, what song are we going to hear? Um, my song campfire. Okay. And this is off of sundowner. This is off of sundowner. Yeah. This is, um, this is the first single, um, Though we're past singles, but yes, it's 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 the first <laughs> yeah. single and the fourth song on the record. All right, this is Kevin Morby on the Live Wire House Party. Oh my my, oh I guess that I done my time. Now I've laid to rest. There's a campfire inside my soul, and it billows. In the sky was a thousand years old Always kept time in my back pocket No man, goddamn, came to take my soul Shut the door, then lock it In where have all of my friends gone where did all of my friends go? In where have all of my friends gone? They billow. Thought that I saw Jessie, she was sitting in a crowd. Thought that I saw Jessie, then I got to feel. To ever have known someone so pretty and so sweet Who every time she sang a song It'd sweep me up my feet But oh my my, oh I guess That she's done her time, now she's laid to rest There's a campfire inside her soul Still below Stay calm, stay calm, and give me a palm. Give me a palm, and I'll sing you a song. Young kids smoke cigarettes out on the avenue. Sun's going down, so you might as well have a few. Hey, who are you? Did you hear the news? 
Anthony's dead in Poor Richard too. They billow, they billow, and it makes me nervous. They whittle a fiddle from wood in our service. Now that it's dusk, kids scatter the avenue. Hey, who are you? I'm a sundown at two. <laughs> That was Kevin Morby right here on the Livewire House Party. His album Sundowner is available now, and I would highly, highly recommend it. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be chatting with Abby Jacobson from Broad City. Also, writer Nicole Chung will be talking about her memoir, All You Can Ever Know, a memoir of adoption. And we're going to have music by The Dip, also, of course, we will be looking to get your answers to our listener question, which is where our friend and marketing associate, Ariana Donoville, comes in. Hey, Ariana. Hey, Luke. Have you been doing any more high-level food photography in your free time? No. no <laughs> Not <it>. this week. <laughs> really? Yeah. Maybe uh, on, you know, maybe maybe next week, soon. Okay. All right. Well, um, it's good also that you're focusing on your duties as our social marketing person. What's the question yeah. that we're asking the listeners for the next show? The question is, where's the first trip you want to take when it's safe to do so? I have found myself, I think as like an anxiety release, going on like different websites and planning out Mm -hmm. dream vacations for whenever it's allowable again. And I've noticed I'm doing it as the days get shorter here in the Pacific Northwest. I start thinking more about Tulum, Mexico. Oh, yeah. Ooh, Um, that's a good one. So maybe that'll be somebody's answer. All right, how should people uh, send in their responses, Ariana? Listeners can submit their responses on our social channels. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Livewire Radio, as well as on Facebook. And also, Elena, let me just make sure I have this right. Mm -hmm. You are going to be helping put people in touch with an independent bookseller near them if they go onto the Livewire social media and make their needs known. Yes, and or if they just want to know what kinds of books they should buy from their oh, yeah. favorite, I'm happy to uh, to boss them around and tell okay. them what to buy. <laughs> Ariana, are you cool sharing the social media space with Passarello? This is going to be two cooks in that kitchen. <laughs> well, there's only one cook yes, in that kitchen. Course, let's, yeah. let's be That's frank. Right. <laughs> You're good with that, Ariana? Yes, okay. of course. All right, good. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for our show this week. A huge thanks, as always, to our guests, Rachel Bloom, Natalie Diaz, and Kevin Morby. Livewire is brought to you, speaking of dream vacations, by Alaska Airlines. Special thanks this week to Amanda Bullock and everybody at the Portland Book Festival. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. And Ariana Donoville is our marketing associate. A. Walker Spring composed our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we would like to thank member Laura Frizzell of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can find our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.